Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. I'm going to uh, speak a message that's called an ever-present offer from God. An ever-present offer from God is something that is available to all. It's available to uh, those who are young and those who are older. It is available to everyone who has received Jesus Christ as their saviour, have a deep relationship with the Lord. It is also available to those who do not yet know Jesus Christ as their personal saviour. And my key verse to go with this theme is out of a well-known scripture that many of you know. It's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And let me give you a bit of background to this verse. Jeremiah was given this prophetic word by the Lord to present to the people of Israel. They were being taken out of their homeland and they were being taken in captivity into Babylon for 70 years. I can't imagine what it would be like to be uplifted out of your homeland and taken away as slaves into a corrupt country far different from the one you were in. And the prophetic word that we see here in verse 20, chapter 29, verse 11, is brings a message of peace and hope from the Lord to calm their minds, to calm their souls, to calm their spirits. In a time when they could not really look at the future without fear and without anxiety. So let me read the scripture to you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Father, we just thank you for this word today. Already, Lord, we've had a message about freedom, Father. Freedom today, God. And I just pray that as this message comes, these words come, the spirit will move. And Lord, each one of us will leave today with a sense of freedom, Lord with a sense of hope, with a sense of significance as we have you in our lives. Thank you, God. Life has taught me, in my many, many years of life, it's taught me over the years that right now, in this present time, right now, in this day, we may not necessarily know what the future holds for us, but we can rest in the Lord who does. Let me say that again, church, and let's take that in. Right now in this day, we may not necessarily know what the future holds for us, but we can rest in the assurance that the Lord does. Now, when I'm talking about the future here, I'm not necessarily talking about eternity. We know as Christians, what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, shall have eternal life. That is eternity. That is the ultimate where we will be. But God also says we have a journey along the way to that destination. And God wants us to live that journey. God wants us to enjoy that journey along the way. God wants us to experience his presence along the way. So today let's talk about the journey of life, the journey of time. Our life consists of three dimensions. We have our past, we have the present, and we have the future. 
Some people call it linear, that it's a linear of time. Uh, Pastor James, if he was here this morning, he would be saying it's sequential. He did a series on sequential. It's a sequence. We go from the past to the present to the future as we live our journey. What is so good about our journey, church, is we exist in all three, but God also exists in all three. So to think about that, the past, the present, and the future, God exists in all three. About eight years ago, I began to seriously take a stock of my life. I began to look at my past. Now, some people will say you should never look at your past. Um, I'll talk more about that soon. But I started to look at my past. I started to look at the present, where I was at, and where to from here, considering my future. Um, as you guys are aware of, for a series of four years, I had had cancer, um, and I had gone through a series of uh, surgery after surgery over a period of about four years. At the same time, I had a potentially leaky home. Has anyone here ever had or lived in a home where it almost drives you to a breakdown? I'd come to the stage where, you know, I'd had uh, operation after operation, surgery after surgery. I had a home that potentially I was looking at thinking will not be around in a few more years unless I can do something about it. I had family matters happening at home, as we all do. And I also, at that time, was uh, working in a, a full-time job in a very large church. And I had large responsibility. And I actually came to the place of exhaustion in my life. I call it the tipping point in life. I could not hear God in the midst of my anxieties and fear. You know, my peace had gone. And, and I couldn't hear voice. All I could see was everything that was falling apart around me. And it was nothing but fear and anxiety taking place in my life. And I realised that if I didn't take a break, get out of New Zealand, I actually had to get out of New Zealand to get out of all these issues, that I wouldn't fulfil my journey. I would not enjoy my journey, my life that God had for me, if I continued to live in this fear and anxiety. And I was determined to find a space where I could begin to have an ear to hear and have a new set of eyes, a new set of lenses to see what God had ahead for me in the future. I've been reading a book called Four Keys to Hearing God's Voice, written by Mark Berkler. He says in this book, the first key to hearing God's voice is to be still and quieten yourself down. Does anyone have trouble here being still and quieting yourself down? I said at the prayer meeting last Wednesday, I said, I have an enormous problem. You know, I wake up in the morning, I'm flat out through the day, my mind goes buzz, buzz, buzz. I go to bed, go to sleep, wake up, five o'clock, ping, and my mind's going, duh, 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 duh. anyone else like that? Just can't keep your mind still. So for me to be still meant I had to get away. So I made a decision. I was due for a three-month sabbatical at my church. A three-month sabbatical is service leave that is given to an employee um, when they've been so many years working in a certain place. So I decided, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pack up. I'm going to go overseas. And I'm going to stay somewhere where I can hear God afresh. I had no idea, church, absolutely no idea what God had ahead for me in the future. I had no idea what was going to happen while I was over there. 
So I went to the United States and I went to Pennsylvania where my friends had a beautiful home there. And I went there and I stayed with them. This home was set in a beautiful bush and at the back of the house it had a large forest and it was often known that there were deer that would roam through it. Doesn't it sound quite romantic? I mean, I was on my own, so it wasn't going to be romantic, but it was going to be a great break. So I said to my friends that I was staying with, I'm not a tourist, don't want to be treated like a tourist, I actually want to go over there and I want to get out in the quietness of this beautiful place and begin to hear the Lord afresh. So during this time, I began to read a book. Now this book is called The Screwtape Letters. Has anyone read this book? You know, if you were looking for light entertainment, I certainly probably wouldn't read this book. <laughs> but this book is a novel, it's an apologetic novel, a Christian one, written by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is such a profound author and a lay theologian. You only have to read a, um, a quote that he makes. And I'm, I'm still trying to catch up with the words in the first part, and he's moved on to something else. He's actually quite profound. Well, this book is called The Screwtape Letters, and it's a view of our world really from the depths of hell. Okay? So what it is about, the book is about an uncle called Screwtape who is mentoring and training up his nephew, now, they are evil spirits. Screwtape is an evil spirit, a demon. He's trying to train up his nephew, Wormwood, and basically how to destroy one's faith and belief in God, how to take away their peace that they have and fill them with fear and despair for the future. So let me just read you two paragraphs. I know it sounds heavy, but it's a very profound book bringing out real truths. So in a couple of paragraphs here, Screwtape is saying to his nephew, to be sure, let me just get that correct, that's not right. Screwtape says, the humans live in time. Remember we're talking about time, past, present and future. Humans live in time, but our enemy, meaning God, but God destines them to eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things to eternity itself, and to that point of time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Of the present moment, and of it only, humans have an experience comparable to the experience which God has of reality as a whole. In it alone, freedom and actuality are offered to them. He would therefore have them continually... Concerned with eternity, God would have us continually thinking of eternity, which means being concerned with him, being concerned with the present, either meditating on the union himself, obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, and giving thanks for the present pleasure. Our business, says the enemy. Our business is the opposition to the Christian life. Our enemy, our business is to get them away, get Christians away from the eternal and from the present. That is the enemy's goal, to try to get us away from eternity, to try and get us away from the present. From the present. The present is the ever-present offer that God has for us. 
Isn't that incredible? So as I buried my head into that book, I realised that Screwtape Tape was teaching Wormwood how to go into the sequel of time in a person's life and wreck their soul and their spirit and what was going on. So the ever-present offer that God has for us today is living in the now, is living in the present. So let's have a look at what it is the enemy will use to rob us from enjoying the present. Firstly, he wants us to focus on the negativity of the past. Remember, I didn't say focusing on the past. Focusing on the negativity of the past. Have you ever heard yourself say, I wish I could change things? I wish if I could do it all over again, I would do it differently. Or I wish I could forget about some of those things. You know, uncertainty comes when we dwell too much on the negative experiences of the past. Those negativities, those disappointments, they will encroach on our present moment and they'll bring us into the land of regret. Let me tell you, church, from my experience, the past is done. The past is over. It's history. It cannot be changed. The past is done. It's history and it cannot be changed. Philippians 3, 13 to 14. Paul says, I'm still not all I should be, but I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us to. Paul says, I am not all that I should be. But I focus all my energy on this one thing. And look, when you read about Paul the Apostle, he had so much passion. He had so much energy. He had so much in him. But he said, I'm going to focus it all on one thing, forgetting the past. Forgetting the past. Forgetting the past. I don't think we ever really forget the past. We always remember the things that go on, but we've got to take a hold of those thoughts and what are we going to do with those thoughts? Forgetting the past is not denying pain and suffering and loss. I can still remember the pain of the past. I can still remember the loss of a loved one. And I don't think God ever wants us to forget those loved ones. But God is the only one who completely forgets, forgives, forgets, and remembers no more. But what we do with those thoughts, what we do with those thoughts is really important. Forgetting the past is not denying the pain and the suffering and the loss. Forgetting the past is not turning our back on the past without learning from it. When I was living in England, I worked in Eastern Europe for quite a few years, and I was based in England. And every year, we used to have a memorial, a memorial for the Holocaust that was the slain of millions of Jews. And I remember one night on TV, the media said, why do we always have to be reminded of the Holocaust? Why do we have a memorial year after year when it brings up pain and hurt? And I remember the Prime Minister, Tony Blair, he turned around and he said, we remember history so we don't forget history. We remember history so we don't forget history. Forgetting the past 
is actually letting go of the negativity of the past and beginning to remember God's faithfulness through those difficult times. Forgetting the past, God wants us to remember the good things in the past to hang our faith on. I have a friend who lives in Singapore, and for years and years, he has a journal. In the front of the journal, he writes down what the prayer is, what he's praying for. In the back of his journal, he writes down the answer to prayer. He does this week after week, month after month, and every so often when he's feeling discouraged, he picks up this journal. And he's not looking at the negativity of what hasn't been answered. He's not looking back at the negativity of the past. But he picks it up, he goes to the back of the book where he's written down the answers to the prayers. We would be amazed how many times God answers the prayers in ways that we never expected, in different ways. And that book has been a, such an encouragement for him. But God wants us not to focus on the negative things of the past. That's what the enemy will use to drag us down. But God wants us to remember his faithfulness in the good things. Remember his faithfulness in bringing us this far. I stand here today and I can look back at the faithfulness, the grace of God and the mercy he had on me. God wants us to remember the good things in the past to hang our faith on. Amen? In the book of Joshua, God commanded Joshua and his people to make a memorial for generations to remember his faithfulness by. In the Joshua, Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 1 to 3, it tells us about Moses had passed away. Moses had led the people through the Red Sea. He'd done a fantastic work with the people, but he had never led his people through to the promised land. When Moses dies, for 30 days they grieve and they mourn. And I'm sure it would have been a really sad time for them. But at the end of that, God turned around and said, come on, Joshua, I want you now to pick this up. I want you to take people across the River Jordan, and I want you to take them into the Promised Land. Let's read in Joshua chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 2 to 7, and I'm sorry, I'm a check. I don't have a PowerPoint for that. Okay? So in Joshua 4, chapter 2 to 7, Moses had died. The people of Israel were standing on the other side of the, on this side of the River Jordan and being led by Joshua, and God had said to Joshua to take the people across. Verse 2. Now take for yourselves twelve men from the people, says the Lord, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourself twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them with you, Lodge them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. So let's get the picture here. We've got Joshua. And I mean, they've had all sorts of things happen to these people. And, you know, they're standing there. They've got this big flowing river. And God says to him, I want you to take one person from every tribe. And we're going to cross that Jordan and pick up some stones. So you've just got a picture here. We have 12 priests. They lift the Ark of the Covenant. They're going into the river first. The river is cut off to the left and to the right, and suddenly the water's stopped. There's no water coming. Don't ask me what area they, the water was stopped in. Pastor Phil would know. He's a historian. You don't know? I'm the pragmatic person. Up the river. Up the river. So here we have people are waiting to go across this river. The priests go ahead with the Ark of the Covenant, and then it carries on in the verse here, and it says to Joshua, 
Take one man from every tribe and command them, saying, Take yourself twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You should carry them with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men, whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. Why did he ask them to do this? So that this may be a sign among you. When our children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? You shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be a memorial to the children forever. God wanted Joshua and the people to make a memorial to, they, to remind them not of the bad times, not of the tough times, not of the times they were persecuted, but of the miraculous things that God had done and his faithfulness to bring them to that point. God did not want this generation and the generations to come to forget the goodness of God. He wanted to remind them of his faithfulness. Think about that. Think about some of the things you've been through in life. Think about God's faithfulness in the middle of it. Think about how gracious he is. So many times I've tripped over different things and I thought, God, why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep slipping into fear? Why do I keep getting anxious about things? You know what? God doesn't hit me with a brick. You know, he just gently puts his arms around me and says, come on, Sue, let's move forward. Let's move forward. He's so gracious. God asked the tribe of Joshua and them to build a memorial to remind them of his goodness to hang their faith on for the future. God was with them when they were in Egypt. God was with them when they came through. He was with them in their difficult time and even when they were complacent, even when they were moaning when God was looking after them, he was there. God existed in all three. He existed in their past, he existed in what was going to happen in the future, and he existed in the now, in that ever-present offer from God, living in the now. So coming back, Coming back to my time in Pennsylvania, I had been reading this book. Um, I got through reading this book. I went out into the forest. And you know what it's like. We say we want to have this prophetic revelation from God. And I was expecting to see a, a deer walking through the forest, maybe with wings on it or flames of fire. And I have to actually say to you all, I have never seen anything like that. I have never seen anything like that. I haven't actually heard the audible voice of God shout out at me. But i tell you what, I was walking through that forest and amongst the peacefulness of that forest, I'd taken the time out to be still and still the silly mind of mine and I began to hear God's voice afresh. And he turned around and he said to me, Sue, you have given up the past without living in the land of regrets. You have kept your spirit sweet. But Sue, he said, you have been so busy focusing on the future, so busy focusing on the fear of the future and allowing anxiety and fear and worry that it has robbed you from enjoying living in the now. It had robbed me from enjoying the presence. 
I tell you, I was the only person, I think, in Auckland or New Zealand in that summer that was praying for a drought. I didn't want any rain to fall down on my house because I thought it would leak. There were times I would just curl up in a corner and I'd look around just waiting for more rain to come. Notice while I'm talking, God's given me sunshine. How beautiful is that? <laughs> but I did. I had a loud fear. All I could see is this home, I would not be able to sell it. Um, I, I could see that I have no inheritance for my kids. I'd have no finances. I wouldn't be able to finish work. I was so tired. I no longer wanted to work full time. I just wanted to relax, be a part-time worker, and just chill out and enjoy life. And, you know, God said to me, I want you to enjoy living in the now. I've given that to you. We are so busy living in the past. We're so busy living in the future that we don't enjoy the people around us, the family that we have, the spirit of God. We don't enjoy the beautiful country that God's given us. And God has said to me time and time again in New Zealand, we need to slow down. We need to slow down and take in his presence and enjoy it right now, right at this moment. I tell you, I, I began to weep. I began to realize how much I didn't trust God. I, I began to realize how much I had allowed all these things to rob me, and I began to dwell on his faithfulness in the past times. Suddenly, it was just my mind, even the house, my mind had exaggerated so much about the house that it had become a, a jail for me, it had become a trap for me. And all of a sudden, I realized the faithfulness of God and I, I began then to hang my faith on that. And I came home from that trip. I was away three months, had a great time. I came home, I prayed to God, and I prayed three things. I said, God, I want to be able to sell this house. You know they say if you've got stress around you, eliminate it. It's not always easy to do. I decided, I said, God, I'll sell this house as is. I just need to move out. I said, uh, and you know, here's me laying down to God what I want, but I'm sure he doesn't mind that. And secondly, I said to him, I said, I really want to resign from my role in church. I, I feel it's time for other generations to move on, and I need to be free of all the stress. And thirdly, I said, God, I'd like to meet a husband. I'd like to get married again. I said, uh, God, I said, I don't want to marry a chauvinist. Sorry, guys, I'm not being sexist here. I just didn't want to marry someone who was chauvinistic. I just wanted to marry someone who was humble and who was a real gentleman. I came back to New Zealand. And I think, um, I can't remember exactly the time, within two to three weeks of putting my house up for sale, it sold. It sold. And, and you know, it was just like this. White, yeah, you can give God a clap because it was God that did it. Ah. And my house sold within two to three weeks. As soon as it was unconditional, which was only a matter of days, I handed my notice in at work and, uh, and I stopped work. I made a decision I wasn't going to work for a year. I needed to get my mental health back into order. I needed to get myself refreshed and renewed. I didn't want to live like that. And within nine months, I was married to Manu Daji. Isn't that wonderful? He gave me a beautiful gentleman. <laughs> so, I just want to say that what I'm talking about today is a work in progress in my own life. I still at times have those fears and anxieties, but having a man like Manu also who's very calm and is always telling me to chill out and not sweat the small stuff, 
He always says, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, you know, it's a work in progress. So you can only preach your best, preach your best messages, your best revelations when it comes from something you love yourself. Amen. Amen. So don't allow talking about the negativity of the past or fears of the future replace living today. Don't let them replace living in the now. Live in the present. I went for a walk a couple of weeks ago with my dear friend Miriam, part of my extended family, and uh, Miriam and I were talking about this message today. She said, oh, the only thing she said I really know what to do today, she said, is Philippians 4, 8 to 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learnt and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So in a practical sense, living in the now, this is what God wants us to do. And I want to read to you now the translation out of the Message Bible, that same scripture out of the Message Bible. And let me read for you out of the Message Bible translation. I believe this is quite prophetic, this translation. Philippians 4, 6-9. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst. Think about the best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you have learnt from me, what you have heard and saw and realised. Do that and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmony. Wow. What a translation that is. Our hope for the future does not come from knowing what the future holds. It comes by standing in the Lord's faithfulness today. Our hope for the future comes from remembering God's grace and goodness to build our faith on. Dream about the future, but make the most of today. God does want us to have a future. He wants us to live it. He wants us to dream it. He wants us to be passionate about it. He wants us to be excited about it. But make the most of today. God says he will give us enough grace for today and tomorrow's cross. No matter what tomorrow's cross brings, God's got enough grace for us. To live is not to grieve for the past or to be anxious about the future, but to live intentionally with wisdom and the ever-present offer that comes from God, and that is today. That is the now. And we can rest our minds, our soul, and our hearts, knowing God is never at any uncertainty within himself about what's ahead in the future for you and me. He has no uncertainty about it. Whatever situation you're going through right now, 
He's already gone ahead of you. See, being a Christian doesn't mean you won't have problems, you won't have issues, but God says, I'm there. He's been there in your past. He's been going to be there in your future. He's been there in the present. And let me read that verse again to you. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good, not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.